So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Pop Culture Podcast. I'm Tyson Popplestone. It's a little play on the words pop, if you hadn't picked it up already. I had a friend call me the other day. He goes, I've just understood pop culture. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, pop, Popplestone. I go, mate, yeah, yeah. That's why, that's why I called it pop culture. I thought it was a fun little name. I thought it was blatantly obvious, I'm going to be honest. So, look, don't be ashamed if you didn't pick up the reference to pop culture and my surname. Maybe you don't know the reference to my surname or pop culture very well, but that's uh, that's where the the little play on words came from. It's great to have you here nonetheless, even if you didn't know that. It's a tough time of the year this time, isn't it, fellas? We've got to pretend once again that we don't care about Married at First Sight, but we do. And I think it's time that, like me, you just confess it, you just make it known, hey, we, we like it. The last six seasons, I've tried to tell my wife that I'm not a fan. She kept catching me poking around the kitchen We've got a little, uh, a little gap between our kitchen and our dining room. She just kept looking over, my head was peeking around. She's like, what are you doing? I go, I'm not interested in the show. She goes, I didn't accuse you of being interested. I'm just wondering what you're doing. I said, well, I was listening to the storyline because there's nothing else to do. I thought I'd just poke my head around and see what the person looked like. For six years, she said to me, babe, just come and sit on the couch and enjoy it with me. I was like, you really think I would stoop to that level? You really think I'm going to do it, do you? She goes, I know you quite well, and I think you're closer than you think to us. I said, well, you don't know me at all. And then she got home the other day and I was on the couch watching it because there was nothing else on is the thing. And the storylines are, are, are very, uh, they're very alluring. They drag you in. There's dra- that's, that's what the problem is. There's so much drama. I like hearing people lie straight to the camera. That's the thing. No one's there for love, are they? Let's be honest. I love the, the pre-married at first sight audition interviews where they go, now what do you want to be on the show for? People go, you know, I just feel like I deserve love and this seems to be the right environment to find it. <laughs> because you're not allowed to say I'm just trying to get a little bit famous. Uh, yeah. I've got a modelling career that's not taken off very well and I thought if I could just be on this show and get revealed to a couple more people with my tits out, then maybe I could get a couple more gigs. <laughs> that's not going to get you on the show. Even though, even though it's the honest answer, it's not going to get you on the show. And people don't, I don't know. I think, I know women are very enticed by the storyline. That's why Fifty Shades of Grey is so attractive. I'm not sure what it is to me that drags me on board. I think I'm attracted to the idea that I'm just being lied to by so many people. And the editing is so good that it makes everyone look like a, just a complete nutcase. <laughs> I had a friend who was on The Bachelor a few years ago. And he told me that the first night is recorded over two days and from 12, uh, 12 p.m. to 12 a.m., they start recording, and they give you a beer an hour. So by the time 12 a.m. rolls around, you've had 12 beers, you're exhausted physically, emotionally, you're half cut, more than half cut. I'd be half cut after two beers, so I'd be unconscious in the corner. I'd be a terrible contestant if I had to live up to that standard. But I always wonder, like, how is it that so many people get so emotional, so fiery, so upset, and just say the dumbest shit, and then you realise they're, they're 12 beers deep and she's only 37 kilos. You give 12 beers to 37 kilo lady, that's three quarters of her body weight is just beer. There's going to be some wild things that are being said. And I think that's what makes the show so good. And I like it as well because the producers are honest about the fact that fame is the goal. And though it's covered up with a disguise of love and attraction, they every now and then they'll, they'll pair two people together that they know is going to be an absolute disaster. This year, I'm not sure of the couple's name, but there's one chick who, based on what I've seen in the first couple of episodes, is she needs to see a counsellor about it. She's a sex addict, and that's fine. 
that's fine. But what I'm saying is she's she's not going to find a long and fulfilling relationship because the man that she's with just wants to have a conversation. But have you ever tried to have sex and have a conversation at the same time? It's like drumming and singing. It's a very difficult endeavor unless you've had a lot of practice. How do you keep that rhythm? While you focus on the hips, you realize your mouth's not working anymore. You're like, I can't, I can't hold a conversation and do this at the same time. You seem to move my hips in the wrong way. I'm very confused. So they're my favorite couple, just just based on just based on how different they are. And I feel bad for them because the producers have clearly set them up to fail. But the entertainment factor of that is is just glorious. It's it's wonderful to see. And there's something encouraging about seeing people uh, at their worst as well, isn't it? You see people at their worst and you go, you know what, my life's not so bad. All I've got to do is go and do the dishes because my wife's just cooked a lovely Indian meal. And these guys are having a fight and they won't touch each other before they go to sleep. Granted, I'm not a huge toucher after an argument either, so I shouldn't be too judgmental of that. But fellas, I think it's important for us just to, to gather around. We've got to get together. We've got to be open about the fact that, hey, look, we love maths and that's okay. If I have to go to one more work meeting, if I have to go and see any group of mates where we all pretend that we don't not like maths, but we just know the storyline based on the fact our wife watches it and she plays it a little bit loud, it's, you know, I, I just can't do that anymore. Fellas, what, let's just, we could even have a bit of a bro rule. We can pretend that we don't enjoy it, but hey, let your lady know you're into it a little bit. Go home, flick it on. Uh, ask questions about the sex addiction of this lady. Ask what you could be doing better to give her the desire for sex this bad because I can tell you you know based on 11 years of of my best work it's not a highly requested thing in in my house at the moment I mean you shouldn't say that should you 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 can't just be saying that on your podcast about your very beautiful wife it's she listens to this every now and then she'd be disappointed that I didn't edit that out but that's the rule that's the rule you don't edit it you just you can't delete history is what they say i'm not sure who they said i'm not sure who said that but it it felt like the right thing to say so anyway we've got a what do they call it the the love ceremony on sunday we've got to find out which couples are staying which couples are going it's it, honestly mind-blowing how well they end each episode and each ad break i reckon that would be one of the hardest jobs to do because truly, I've tried to edit podcasts here and there before. It's a very, very difficult task. To be editing a TV show like that on a weekly basis to try and keep the audience not only engaged, but emotionally captivated would be would be very tricky. So a big shout out to the producers. It's actually a work of art now I think about it all round. I think the producers are, are you know, what would you call them? I'm trying to think of a fantastic artist that's a little bit, I'm not sure who it is. I was listening to a Rick Rubin book last night, so we'll just say they're the, they're the Rick Rubens of the uh, Married at First Sight television show. Very strange that we're not a fan of arranged marriages, but this show is so popular. That's what I find very interesting about it. We're not a fan necessarily of arranged marriage. I think it's disrespectful, but when it comes to Married at First Sight, no, that's our exception, isn't it? Married at first sight, you can you can get married at first sight as long as it's for our entertainment, but don't be doing it for le- religious reasons. That's when it's too far. Like we can't escape from the fact that our little secular society loves just to just to loves to delve back into what we deem archaic. We go, okay, we're not doing arranged marriages anymore, all right? And we come up with an agreement that we all agree that arranged marriage is a bad thing. Well, if we've got a real good TV show idea, well, that's the one exception, all right? 
What we could do, married at first sight, we'll make a shitload out of this. Honestly, that's one of the most brilliant ideas <laughs> that I've ever heard. What if we have a show where you can have seven wives? Oh, shut up, Peter. Yeah, just because your marriage is broken down doesn't give you the right just to try and marry every woman in the room right now. Oh, come on there. It's a bloody good idea, I tell you. That was a weird little tangent. But you know what I'm saying, don't you? It's funny what you make exceptions for. If you're looking for love, don't go to married at first sight. Looking for love on married at first sight is like looking for health at McDonald's. You know, I mean, maybe you'll find it, but it'll be accidental. You don't go to McDonald's for the apple quarters. You get that because you've just given your kid a happy meal and you feel bad about their heart condition. So you go, oh, well, look at those apples. We give him a little apple. That should clear up all the crap in his, in his heart muscles. <laughs> if you leave married at first sight with love and with a good relationship, it's honestly like going into McDonald's and just leaving with a bag of apples. Yeah, be honest. You weren't expecting it everyone's surprised it, it seems like the wrong way to do it but nonetheless it's a it's a positive outcome so hey I, with all that said i wish you the best of luck especially to the man who's who's married to the lady with the sex addiction because he doesn't look like a man who's interested in sex very much not based on his physical appearance i just mean he's got more depth to him than that which is you know it's usually not something you say about the man is it usually the man is the one who's quite blatant about his sex addiction I'm not sure. I wonder how many long-term relationships have a sex-addicted husband. I feel as though that's that's a recipe for a high turnover in marriage because I know from time to time I'll get home late and if I'm looking for a little bit of action and I'm told no, well, no's the answer. You can't just be going, oh, come on, babe, I'm addicted. <laughs> Feed my habit. It just uh, it doesn't work as, as good as an argument, it seems to be in my mind. It just doesn't quite work out as, uh, as you'd expect it to. So sex addicts, hey, may the Lord be with you, as they say. May the Lord be with you on your endeavor to find love. May your full desires be satisfied. But may you also have time to have a conversation with your, with your man. Maths, I'm, I'm impressed. The producers or the judges on the show have never said anything that we didn't know, have they? I think it's amazing what you can say with a face of sincerity. You can say nothing, but as long as you look sincere... It sounds quite beautiful. I love the sex therapist one, the, the Spanish one, because she's never said anything that I, I didn't know, but she says it in a way that makes her sound profound. So a couple will sit down in front of her and go, hey, look, we've got couples. All she wants is sex and I want a conversation. And she'll go, hmm. So what I'm hearing is there's a disconnect between your desires and expectations. And they go, wow, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And she goes, yeah, I've seen this before. What we have to do, we have to come to some mutual ground on our expect. And I'm sitting there going, "No shit!" Like, yes, yes, but you you can't you can't just come on TV and go, "All right, hey, look, Pete, she wants to have a little cheeky root twice a week, but look, Sally, he also wants a conversation." So, all right, can we just can we make up some kind of calendar? You have to make it sound a little more profound because because we're there for love, and love is a beautiful and deep subject. You can't be saying have a little root. Can you have to have a Spanish chick talking about the miscommunication between the two? And then you've got old Johnny. Old Johnny comes out and it's the same thing. Johnny's turned into a hard ass the last couple of years. I reckon what he's done is read Fifty Shades of Grey and he's read a little bit about the attraction that women have to a, a highly powerful man, a man who's who's got some conviction, who can stand up for his values and beliefs. And there's a couple of seasons at the start there based on what I heard from the kitchen, not because I was watching it, ladies. There's a couple of seasons there where he'd just get walked over. He'd go, well, you know, I think you guys might be able to, you know, navigate a couple of these issues in your relationship. But then every now and then he'll get he'll get the finger up like this and he'll go, hey, you guys have got to stop talking. 
And ever, I've watched it with uh, a sister-in-law. I've watched it with my wife. I've lost it with, watched it with my mother. I've watched it a lot. And almost in unison, when John gets a little bit powerful, there's a general consensus exemplified by the, oh, in the room. Every woman goes, oh. And all of a sudden, John, who's, you know, physically, he's not an overly powerful man, become super attractive. Very strange. Fellas, remember that. If you're not overly good looking, just be a man of conviction. It seems to, don't be too good where you'll never listen to the opinions of others. The truth is, I'm probably the wrong person to get advice from. Don't listen to anything I'm saying because I don't know what I'm talking about. Do you know what I mean? When you're blessed with these looks, you don't have to think like that. You can just uh, just walk out, do a little wink and hope they don't notice the wrinkles. I, that's a joke in case you're wondering. Um, it's got nothing to do with my looks. I don't focus on the other stuff. It's just not a priority for me. Do you know what I mean? But I, I was at a school a couple of years ago. I'm 35, turned 36 next month. And the wrinkles are becoming a slight problem around my eyes. I remember I stood up in front of a classroom one day and I just gave the opening instructions. And I heard a year seven girl go, this guy has so many wrinkles. I said, well, hey, first of all, listen, I don't really want to be here that much. I'm here purely for the paycheck, which is against everything I believe in. But I'm just trying to navigate the other parts of my life to balance up so that I can get out of here and not hear that kind of uh, triggering <laughs> information. She goes, no, have you got, she goes, honestly though, like do you use skin treatment? And she's, she starts telling me like, look sir, Botox is, it's, it's really, um, you know, it's very gender neutral these days, men and women. I said, look, you don't like, do you know my name? What's my name? She goes, I'm not sure. I said, well, you shouldn't be telling me that it's time for Botox yet. Wait till you found out my name is Mr. Popplestone before you start recon recommending skin treatment to me is all I'm trying to say. She goes, oh, gee, someone doesn't want to be told how to look after his health. I said, no, it's not that. It's just that it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and I actually left the house this morning feeling as though I looked quite good. And for you to tell me now that my my skin, like the skin, the only skin that I have to walk around in, one sec, I've got to adjust my foot. Did you get nervous then when I stood up? I don't know if it was the start of this episode or last time where I told you that uh, I do these podcasts without pants on, but you've just found out I'm lying. I've got shorts on. But how do you navigate that? Because I think there's I think there's certain elements of the old education system where you can have a you can have a strap and, and smack people on the hands, which would be beneficial for things like that. Because it'd be nice to just if your feelings have been hurt in just general conversation in a classroom, for you to be able to uh, you know physically manipulate a student to stop speaking because because it hurt your feelings a little bit. I'm not sure. Maybe it just revealed how insecure I am. There's a, there's a lot you got to work on. And truthfully, schools are a place where if you're an insecure person, you're in the wrong spot. Because as a teacher, especially as a casual relief teacher, you got to cop it. You got to be made of something special. If you walk into a classroom with 30 kids who view you as an opportunity just to do whatever you want to do for the day, they're going to be pushing limits. They're going to be pushing boundaries, which is frustrating when all you want to do is go in there and you know work on your own thing. I used to go in with a laptop and hotspot and hope that the kids wouldn't talk to me so I could just work on the things I really wanted to, to work on, which is probably a sign that I was in the wrong industry. I look at my wife, who's a teacher, and she's very passionate about it. She'd go into a, computer, she'd go into a room with a computer and a detailed lesson plan on it. And I would always, I would always do what a, I've, I've learned is called a six-step lesson plan where as you take the final six steps into the classroom, you go, all right, well, what are we going to do today? <laughs> I remember I got a job at a Christian school uh, about three years ago. I won't name the school because I don't want to, I don't want to bring them, you know, I, I don't want to bring any negative attention to their name. Though, no, I won't. 
And I remember one particular lesson, I had a grade six class and I was the RE teacher, which was even more funny, to be honest. Also, very strange to tell people you're an RE teacher in 2023. It was 2020, I think 2020 at the time. It doesn't, it doesn't generate a whole heap of respect because RE teacher, it's kind of like, I've been an RE teacher and a PE teacher. And whenever you tell someone that that's the job you're doing, they, they all seem to look at you with the view that, okay, look, let's all just acknowledge the fact that this isn't an essential part of the curriculum. Okay, no, no, it's very important. They go, hey, look at me. Look at me. Look, if there's one thing that's going to get taken off the school curriculum, especially in Victoria, it's going to be RE. All right, and PE, let's not pretend it's work. That's always a funny conversation when I speak to PE teachers. And I go, hey, how have you been? They go, I'm just so busy. I go, mate, let's be honest. You teach kids how to kick a footy. If you're getting stressed about it, you need to take a breath. That's on you. That's on you. It's amazing the things that people take very seriously. I learned this through stand-up comedy. The stand-up comedy world's funny because you, you think everyone's just funny, but it's not. Like, it's a very serious industry. People are very passionate about getting laughs. They get off stage and they've bombed. They haven't got any laughs. It's a very depressing experience and always a very fun one to witness, to, if I'm completely honest. It's not fun when you're the person who's bombed and there's, there's plenty of those opportunities as well. I guess it's just wherever, you, wherever your heart, wherever your energy sort of is directed, then there's obviously a, a negative impact on at least your ego if things don't go as well as what you want. I used to be a distance runner and it was always frustrating when you would finish a race and you just got your ass kicked. So I probably shouldn't laugh at you know my fellow comedians based on the fact that I also am one. You get up on stage and bomb from time to time and you get off the stage, your mates are just pissing themselves laughing. You're like, there's nothing funny about this. This is not fun at all. <laughs> anyway. Do you see, um, yeah, Aussies, you'll, you'll know this one. Maybe it is Victorians. I don't know if it's a national show. See, Carl Stefanovic is now saying that he's not getting the fifth jab. <laughs> Which is, I love, I just love the progression of the conversation around the COVID vaccines over the last couple of years. If you didn't want the first one, you're an anti-vaxxer. If you don't want the fifth one, well, look, it's not, well, I mean, I think you're just the general population. I'm not 100% sure. I should put a vote out and just see who is getting the fifth one. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I haven't got it. I'm not planning to get it. And you can't get the fifth one when you haven't had the first one. But Carl Stefanovic came out saying, look, it's probably probably not ideal. Remember when you said that three years ago, you just got in trouble on every single platform in the world. People would look at you like you're a psycho. Now a news host can come out and say, hey, look, I here's what I think. I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was his program came out and said, hey, here's how to deal with unvaccinated family members at Christmas. <laughs> and I was like, what? where are we living? What's happening? I get, history runs in funny, funny segments like that, though, doesn't it? I'm listening to a book at the moment called The Four Turnings. So The Four Turnings is about, it's like a prophecy slash history book for the United States, but it applies to every country in the world. And essentially, the, the overview, the, the, the main sort of, what's the book about? William Strauss, I think the guy's name, he speaks about how history operates on an 80-year schedule. So essentially, within that 80 years, there's four 20-year chunks. The first 20 years is a time of great hope and excitement. And then the next 20 years and the 20 years after that and the final 20 years is like a progressive decline into chaos and just absolute just fuckery, essentially. Not his words, but mine. 
It was written in 1997, and he predicted, based on where we were on that timeline, that in 2005 to 2007, we would enter the final turning. So the final turning is that turning of just absolute chaos and, and fuckery, to quote myself. So uh, he said that by 2027, this final stage of chaos and confusion will be done, and then we'll re uh, we'll, we'll go back into this period of great hope and excitement and anticipation so long as we survive that 20-year period because apparently throughout the course of history, the final turning has gotten progressively more and more deadly. And based on the fact we've got nuclear weapons and things and a little bit of tension going around the world at the moment, he, he was saying, look, as long as, as long as we don't blow ourselves up, there's a good chance that there's great hope just around the corner after that. I thought that's interesting, isn't it? Because he, at the start of the book, he starts speaking about final turnings involving like um, banking collapses, like I thought of 2008 in the United States. And then I'm pretty sure, I don't know if he's, I'm making this up, but he was speaking about gender and the different views of gender and just political tension. And he also speaks about the threat of countries succumbing to like a totalitarian government, which I thought I've got like you've started to get a little bit of a glimpse of how things like that can take place like where certain things aren't allowed to be said you can't speak about certain issues you can speak about certain issues as long as you know you're on you're on the government side or the the health organization side or whatever so i've definitely seen it so it's given me like a whole heap of hope about the next couple of years like so long as we can get to 2027 in pretty good health then man hopefully you and i get to spend the next 20 years after that in a culture that's excited and uh, filled with hope. So it's going to be very interesting to watch because I don't know about you, but I get in these mindsets sometimes where I'm like, what is happening? Like, what's going on? The culture around me just seems to be crumbling. Everything falls apart. And then you hear people say, yeah, imagine what the world's going to be like for our kids. But I've never really thought about the fact that history operates in segments. And it kind of makes sense because you look at seasons and there's summer, there's autumn, there's winter, there's spring. You look at time, like there's day, there's night. There's patterns in everything, like the ocean comes in, it goes out, the sun goes up. It goes, it's just, it's really interesting. And so, of course, the DNA of who we are or where we live is going to be dictated by certain rhythms and certain patterns. So if you've been a little bit weighed down by how crazy things look, take a little bit of hope in that. There you go. It's called the fourth, uh, the four turnings or the fourth turning. I heard about it through a guy called Van Neistat on YouTube, who's Casey Neistat's brother. Casey Neistat was a vlogger that I, I got into a few years ago because he's, he's just a super creative guy behind a camera, um, which I've always appreciated. I've started listening to a book called The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. I don't know what it was, but about 12 months ago, I started to get this real, I don't know, you know when sometimes you just sort of pull towards a certain character? Rick Rubin is one of those characters, and I can't quite put my finger on exactly what it is I love so much about him. But Rick, he's a music producer. He's worked for a number of the biggest acts like Kanye and Jay-Z. Um, I'm pretty sure he's had a little bit of Britney back in the early days. Like there's there's so many different artists that he's worked alongside. But he's this weird breed of person, the Chili Peppers, this weird breed of person where so many of his decisions is... He's not one of those guys who just sits there and thinks and thinks and analyzes and analyzes and just goes over things rationally in his mind. He's like where a deep thinker meets a spiritual teacher and he somehow combined those two things so beautifully and he's got this crazy ability to explain what creativity is and through his own practice, through his own routines, he's just become one of the most highly respected music producers on the planet. 
As a result, maybe no surprise, I'm only an hour into his book. I listened to it on the way home from Melbourne last night. Dude, if you're up for a, a, a little bit of talk around creativity, The Creative Act, Rick Rubin, it's, it's incredible. One of these books, he's got this ability just to be able to take really complex ideas around like, a, I guess you just call it a nuanced subject like creativity and put it into real simple words. And he's got this this ability just to make it relevant to everyone as well. Like you and I, we might go, oh, I'm not that much of a creative person. I just go to work each day or I'm just on the tools, I'm a tradie or whatever. But he speaks about creativity as being so limited in our minds. Like creativity is actually like the creation, the putting in order the chaos of the world. Like if you're a Christian or from the Christian tradition, we speak about the that God created the world and we're called to like partner up with him a little bit and become co-creators, like go out with our different gifts and different skills and different talents and, and just keep that creation process going. And it kind of makes sense when you think of it like that. And uh, I think too often, or he, I've stealing this from him, he says too often creativity is limited to like a painting on the wall or like a, a CD cover or a, a picture that you've drawn or a piece of pottery or you know a piece of music or a funny joke. But what we often forget is also creativity is like a lawnmower and how a lawnmower is actually created through the imagination of someone and it's got the ability to curtail or change the, the landscape of, of your backyard. I go, oh man, that's, that's such a cool view of creativity. Like I'd never thought of it like that. And the fact that he walks around with no shoes and cool glasses makes him very cool to me as well. I don't know. There's, there's certain characters like that. Bob Dylan's another one where you, you look at and you go, what is going on there? What, what's happening here? You're seeing something that a lot of us aren't seeing. And I think sometimes these people, they seem to be those kind of characters who they just sit back a little bit. They're not always talking. They're not always thinking. But they're just, I guess they're, uh, it sounds wanky, but I guess like they're just really present, aren't they? Like they're just very in the moment. And when you're in the moment, there's like a whole heap of ideas that come to you. Rick Rubin was saying last night that we often take credit for the ideas that pop into our mind, like an idea will pop into our head and we'll go, hey, what a great idea I just had. But he said that a lot of the time he believes ideas aren't like inside of us, but outside of us. And we're like the antenna and the antennas who are most finely tuned pick up ideas more readily and more quickly than other people. So he goes, he likes to think of it like a sushi train where there's different meals going around. And if you're just aware of the fact that there's meals going around, every now and then you can stop and look and go, hey, like I wonder what's inside that one. You can take the idea off the belt and have a look at it, have a play with it and just see if there's anything there for you. And I thought, hey, that's really good. And he said, you've got to be cautious to make sure when an idea strikes you that you uh, that you take a minute to, to write it down because ideas, he believes, just come to birth when they're ready to be expressed. And a lot of the time, uh, if an idea comes to us and we let it go, it's not uncommon for that idea to, to sort of be created or implemented by someone else. And it's not because they've copied our idea, it's just because that idea was ready to be born. I thought, hey, Rick Rubin, well said. I'm, um, I'm trying to get back on the, the green juices a little bit. Look at this. You always feel good. Even though there's so much talk about how bad vegetables are for you, which is strange. I listen to Carnivore Aurelius on Instagram a little bit, and he's always going on about how plants are designed not to want to be eaten. Apparently they have some chemical response where because they don't have teeth to fight off prey, they they have this chemical response which is essentially a defense mechanism and it's not good for our health. I heard someone say that a while ago and then I heard a counter argument that the though that's true, our body actually creates a counter response which is a, like a strengthening element of our of our immune system. The health can the health seems confusing like that, isn't it? Because there's just a whole heap of opinions. 
pretty much my rule when it comes to health is like ask the average person on the street of Australia what they do to look after their health and then do the opposite of that. And so for me, that means I don't, I don't want to go to work and sit in a cubicle all day. I'm just going to sit in front of a TV all night. I'm not going to eat most of the foods. Do you know what I mean? Like I think we're the fourth fattest nation in the world per capita. So the idea of taking health advice from Australians is, I'm not sure. Like the, it'd be like taking running advice from a fish. They just, they don't really know what they're talking about. They might have all these ideas and opinions, but when it comes to the crunch, it's like they can't, they can't really implement it themselves. So anyway, I feel a bit bitter at the moment. There's like a little bit of bitterness that I can still tell from the last couple of years with and I tell you this every week, so you're going to be sick of me saying it, but there's just so many people who've had opinions on what the right thing to do in regards to your health is that was so, so wrong that now I go, okay, it's going to be hard for me to ever listen to you again. So maybe I'm just going to, I'll watch Channel 9 and whatever they say, I'll do the opposite. That seems like the healthiest approach. <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe that's just something that I need to work on that's not healthy itself. Who knows? Probably is. Why do I know? I'm just a good-looking bloke from Point Lonsdale sitting in his upstairs room with a green juice and a camera in front of him telling you a couple of stories, telling you a few things that have been gone through my mind. I did three gigs last night. Three gigs in the city. The last one, I went up to Altham. It's good. I had the day to myself yesterday. I dropped my family off at the airport at like 10 o'clock in the morning. My gig wasn't until 7 p.m., so I had the whole day <laughs> just to do whatever I want. So I went and bought some running shoes because I'm going to run the Melbourne Marathon like I told you guys if you are here last week. And then from there, I went and bought some sushi, visited a mate at his shop. I went up and sat in a park for an hour because it just seemed like the appropriate thing to do. Did a few stretches, watched a couple of skaters. Got real respect for skaters. I don't know what it is. I reckon if I could rewind the clock and go back to me as a 12-year-old, I would have really worked on my kick flips and grinds. Then did a gig at Altham to a couple of comedians who had heard my jokes before. I was trying some... Some new funny jokes out. Jokes that I thought was funny. One of the jokes I thought was funny was talking about the health world, like perennial tanning, where people go out and tan their asshole. Apparently it's good for your sperm health and like your immune health and just your overall well-being. But people get funny when they find out that you, that you do it. Because I'd started trying to do it recently and um, I thought I was alone a couple of weeks ago and I, I thought, oh, you know what, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to, I'll just give it a go while the sun's shining, I'll get my pants down and, and put my asshole up to the sun. And the moment my asshole, you know, was was sort of kissed by the sunlight, a lady walked past me and was like, oh, this is bad timing. And she goes, oh, excuse me. I go, really? She goes, you can't do that at my cafe. I said, well, okay, okay fair point. <laughs> you got me there. No, it's not even the sun. It's just the light to keep the pies warm. I go, okay, well, all right, everyone's, that's women for you. <laughs> that's, that's just a silly joke. I told that last night, and my uh, my couple of mates who were in the room didn't laugh too much. But then went and performed it to a room full of Indians, lovely Indians. And they pissed themselves, which was very encouraging. Heading back then down there tonight to speak Easy HQ. If you're in the city and you're keen for a uh, you're keen for a laugh, if you're keen for a variety act, go to Speak Easy. It's uh, it's where the action's at, Flinders Street. Should be a little bit of fun. I'm up at about eight thirty. You're up for a ride though, there's comedy, there's burlesque, there's jugglers, it's a, it's a very strange show, but I say that in the best possible way. So apart from that, I'm going to go finish this green juice, I'm taking my little man to the pool in about 15 minutes, and then after that I'm going to make a coffee, jump in the car, drive down to Melbourne and uh, try and make people laugh. So hey, I hope you have a fantastic weekend, thanks for stopping by, and uh, hey, I'll see you all here again next week, hopefully. I said that last week as well, finish that exact same way, hopefully. Got to have more confidence. Hey, ladies and gents, 
See you here same time next week.